Hey folks, welcome to the Sermons Podcast of Christ Church at Grove Farm. Whether it's your first time or you've been here since the beginning, we are thrilled to be a part of your spiritual walk and look forward to all that Christ is doing in your life. If you are looking for more information about Christ Church or you would like to connect with one of our pastors or ministry leaders, you can reach us on our website, ccgf.org. You can also connect with us on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Here is this week's message. Grace and peace to you. Well, as it's already been said, we're going to continue in our study in the book of Philippians. And last week, Pastor Craig's message started out with this title, Conversion Power. Now, Pastor Craig isn't here this morning because he's with his family on vacation, so he's probably watching by way of video there and online. So how you doing, Pastor? We're praying for you and your family. Hope you're really being encouraged where you're at. And all those of you that are watching, thank you for tuning in. But for those of us who are here today, the Standing Firm is the title of this sermon, Standing Firm, Peace That Transcends. Now let me stop right here. Today, this passage is filled with so much truth. There's no way that I can just be a preacher. I have to be a teacher today. So I'm going to teach. Can you remember when you were in elementary school when the teacher would say, it's time to put on your thinking cap? Remember that? Well, it's time to put your thinking cap on, okay? A lot of truth here, going to be doing a lot of teaching. Well, the Apostle Paul in our passage is telling us to stand firm, to stand firm in our faith. Even though we're facing so many troubles and trials and hardships, he's saying, listen, when life is uncertain, when life is unstable, when everything's falling apart all around you, he's saying, don't retreat. Don't shrink back. Don't quit, but stand firm in your confidence in Jesus Christ and the peace of God will keep you. The peace of God will keep you. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I come to you right now and I'd ask that you'd forgive me and cleanse me of any sin and that you would fill me with your spirit and you would speak through me to your people. And we as your people wouldn't just be hearers of your word, but we would be doers of it. And you wouldn't just stir us, but that you would change us. For Lord, we ask these things in Jesus' name, amen and amen. In a Kentucky newspaper some time ago, there was an article predicting the weather. However, someone writing the report accidentally omitted a word. The word was showers. So the prediction went like this. There is less than a 5% chance of tonight and tomorrow. <laughs> Could you imagine picking up the paper? Can you imagine the anxiety and the stress that was produced when they picked up the paper and they said, there's a 5% chance of tonight and tomorrow. You know, as I look at people and talk to people and people are watching what's going on in the world, or they're listening and watching what's going on in the United States and in our city and a lot of people are saying to me, man, Pastor Ed, there's a lot, a lot of things that look really unstable. And it concerns me because it brings a lot of uncertainty to me about the future. And I got to be honest, it fills me with a lot of anxiety. And then you add all the stress of life, you know, the trials and the temptations that we face. And you add all that up, it's a perfect storm for a lot of anxiety worry and fear. And left undealt with for a long period of time, that will cause the ugly head of depression to visit anybody. 
You know, they tell me that there are over 40 million people in America that are struggling with some type of anxiety disorder. That has grown over 1,200% in the last decade. I don't know what the statistics are since COVID has taken place, but I know this, this message is timely for us. And I know the message was timely in the first century because the church in Philippi was facing a, a lot of problems. Let's look at some of them very quickly. They were desperately poor. They were being persecuted because of their faith. They had false teachers within the church attacking the body. And they had two women who were causing division and disharmony in the church. And Paul knew that that was what was going on. He knew the problems that the church in Philippi were facing, but he also knew what the problems were producing. Look at verse 6 with me. It says, do not be anxious. So they were being filled with a lot of anxiety because of all the problems that I just mentioned. Paul uses the Greek word anxious there, and it comes from two Greek words put together. One word means to tear apart, and the other means the mind. So literally, the word anxious means to divide or tear the mind. James puts it this way in his book. He says this, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways, which is a pretty good description of anxiety. Anxiety is when your mind is divided between legitimate thoughts and destructive thoughts. It takes your mind in two different directions. I did some research and found a study that was done by Dr. Joseph Gallo, G-A-L-O. In his research, he said 85% of the things that we worry about never happen. Never happen. He said of the 15% that did happen, 79% of the people found they handled the difficulty better than they thought they could. And or the difficulty taught them lessons worth learning. He concluded by saying 90%, 97% of what you worry about is just a fearful mind. Hear me. Just a fearful mind punishing you with exaggerations and misconceptions. So the Apostle Paul is saying, don't be anxious about anything. The word literally means reject any anxious thought that comes to you. Any action thought, any anxious thought that comes to you, reject it. Do not entertain it. So Paul knows that the problems that they're facing is definitely producing anxiety. So he lays out a plan how to move them from anxiety to peace. And to understand this plan, we have to go back to the very first verse, verse 1. And in verse 1, it says this, therefore, whenever you see a therefore, what do you do? You ask what it's there for. And that helps you to understand that you need to go back and connect what was just said to what is about to be said. And when we go back in chapter 3, we learn that Paul is saying, do not put any trust in the flesh. Can you say that with me? Do not put any trust in the flesh. Do not put any confidence in your flesh, but put all your confidence in the person of Jesus Christ. Put your confidence in Christ. So let's read now. Verse 1. Therefore, don't put any confidence in your flesh, 
but put your confidence in Jesus Christ. My brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord. Put your confidence in Jesus Christ. The word Paul uses for stand firm in the Greek is written in the imperative. The imperative. That means it's a command. It's not a suggestion. Let me explain. Like soldiers in the front line, believers are commanded to hold hold their position while they're under attack. Let me illustrate. Years ago, my family was watching the movie called Gods and Generals. And in the movie, the life of the Confederate General Stonewall Jackson is, to is told. His story's told. And one of the scenes in the movie, it shows how General Jackson came to be known as Stonewall. In one of the early battles of the Civil War, Jackson is bringing or leading a group of men into battle, a fierce battle, where others were dodging bullets and running for cover. There sat General Jackson on his horse, absolutely perfectly still, not willing to surrender an inch of his position. Meanwhile, bullets are flying by, bombs are going off, and there he sat, perfectly still, not surrendering his position. His men, inspired by his courage under fire, gave him the name Stonewall. After the battle, one of his generals came up to him and said, how can you remain so peaceful in the face of such severe battles? And General Jackson replied, and I quote, Sir, if we take our faith seriously, we are in no more danger in the midst of the battle than we are in our beds. It is God who has appointed each man a time to die, and until that time, nothing can touch him. Later, his battles, as the battles grew desperately savage, the men would rally themselves by saying, Stand firm, remember Stonewall. In a similar manner, the Apostle Paul is saying to the church in Philippi and to us this morning, he's saying the battle cry of the Christian is this, stand firm, remember Jesus Christ. Stand firm and remember Jesus Christ. Put your confidence in him. Why? Because he's won the war. He's won the war. Yes, we have spiritual battles every day, but we don't fight for victory, we fight from victory. Why? Because Jesus Christ lives. He's alive. Look what it says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He sits at the right hand of God. He's in total control. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, it says this, Be confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. That's why the Apostle Paul is saying, it doesn't matter if I live or die, I gain. Why? Because I win. Because Christ is alive. Paul is saying, don't retreat. Don't give up. Don't quit. Don't put your confidence in the flesh, but put your confidence in Jesus Christ. And what will happen? Look what it says in verse 7. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Standing firm in Jesus Christ amidst the battle, result, the peace of God.
Now going back to verse 1, it says this, standing firm in the Lord. Then it says these three words, in this way. What way? Paul is laying out a plan to move from anxiety to peace, and he's saying to put your confidence in Christ, to stand firm in him, you got to put these things in practice. These things. These things are rejoice, pray, petition, thanksgiving, and request. Look what it says in verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. So to move from anxiety to peace, we need to put our confidence in Christ by rejoicing in the Lord. That's the first thing. In verse 4, it says this, rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. In Proverbs 15, 15, it says this, he who is of merry heart has a continual feast. And what are they feasting on? Peace. Peace. Peace, or I should say rejoicing, sets the table for the feast of peace. Rejoicing sets the table for the feast of peace. The Apostle Paul understood this. But remember, joy is a choice. Joy is a choice. Paul's not joyful or rejoicing because of his circumstances. His circumstances are horrible. He's in prison. He's not rejoicing because people are wonderful. Often they are not. But Paul is rejoicing because he's a child of the living God. And he knows that his God has his back. He's in control. He can take what is meant for evil in Paul's life and turn it around for his good. And he believed that. He trusted that. Just like in Joseph's life, God took what was meant for evil and turned it around. Paul was believing the same. But Paul uses the word rejoice. And the word rejoice there means this, literally means this, to dig deep into your mind and dig deep into your will and recall who God is and what he's done for you. Notice the apostle Paul says it twice. Why? Because they're going through a difficult time. I mean, they're going through it. And he's saying, I'm making this point. This is critical. You must rejoice. You must do this. You must dig deep into your mind and into your will and recall who God is and what he's done for you. And why is that so important? When you're going through a difficult time, when your trial is prolonged for a period of time, that trial can become a temptation. That trial can become a temptation. What do I mean? When your circumstances are difficult, you can be tempted to complain to God and against God. You can be tempted to question his love. You can begin to even resist his will. And who's doing this temptation? Satan. And when you're facing difficult times, we need to remember Satan is going to do everything he can to put a wedge between you and God. That's the truth. Remember that. And how does he do this? He does this by doing everything he can to discredit and assassinate God's character. He will tell you when you're going through a hard time, he's going to tell you, God doesn't love you. That's why you're going through this. God doesn't care about you. That's why you're going through this. God doesn't have the power to overcome your circumstances. That's why you're going through this. He will go on and on and on as long as you want to listen to him. But let me take on that one lie, that God doesn't have the power to overcome your circumstances. 
Look with me, if you will, James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. It says this, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Let me ask you a question. Where in that passage do you see that God is promising that he's going to remove your circumstances? doesn't say that. Now, listen, many times God does change your circumstances. He does it often, but he's not promising that. So when you're going through a difficult time, you need to remember God may or may not change your circumstances, but what he promises to do, if you'll trust and obey him and persevere, he promises that he will so change you that you will live above your circumstances. That's what he's promising. He's saying, I will mature you, complete you, where you lack nothing. That's what he was doing for Joseph. That's what he's doing for Paul. And that's what he'll do for you. Circumstances are tools in the hands of God and he's changing you. He's changing you for something great, something good. So, you know, Satan, though, he'll continue to hurl accusations as long as you're listening. And what he'll do is he'll create doubt in your mind, doubt towards God's character. And if he can get you to doubt God's character, your circumstances will not make you better. They'll make you bitter. Listen, our ability to stand firm is either strengthened or eroded by what we think of God. And as a believer... If you're doubting the very character of God, you're going to have the time of your life standing firm. So Paul's saying, first thing you got to do is what? Dig deep into your mind and into your will and recall who God is and what he's done for you. Then he goes on and says the second thing, pray. Pray. Look what it says in verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer. Be anxious about nothing. Pray about everything. The word prayer there that Paul uses is often translated worship and devotion. Worship or devotion. So what Paul is saying, when you're tempted to worry, worship. When you're tempted to worry, worship. Remember, we just prayed the Lord's Prayer. In the Lord's Prayer, does Jesus start it this way? Give us this day our daily bread. No. Because Jesus knows if you start out with your needs, you're going to be overwhelmed. No, he says, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus is teaching us to think about how great God is, to worship him first. That's important because worship and worry cannot coexist in the same heart. They are mutually exclusive If you start worshiping, you will find that your worries diminish. You will find, however, if you worry, your worship will diminish. I taught you this before. You gaze and glance. That's what Jesus is teaching. He's saying if you gaze at your problems and then glance at your God, your problems are going to be huge and you're going to pray with a lot of anxiety and worry. But if you gaze at God and remember who he is and what he's done for you and then glance at your problems, your problems will seem small in comparison to how great and mighty your God is. So you are no longer going to be praying with anxiety. You're going to be praying in faith 
with expectation and anticipation and power. I love what my wife says. She says it this way. She says, Tammy says, when you're praying, you just don't tell God about your prayers. You, I mean, you don't tell God about your problems. You tell your problems about your God. And when your problems have to face God, what do they do? They run. And who follows after that? Anxiety, worry, and fear fall right along. So Paul says to us, listen, rejoice, pray, and third, petition. Now, this is familiar to us. It has two meanings. First is to cry out. Paul is saying it's good to cry out. When we're in a tough time, we've been there, we cry out. We say, God, help us. Paul's saying, that's good. You cry out to God because he cares for you. But he also says, cry out, but then cast. Cast. What do I mean by that? Over in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, it says this. Cast all your anxiety. That word anxiety in that passage is the same word that Paul is using. He's saying, cast your anxiety on him because he cares for you. The whole idea is, is this. When those thoughts come to you that divide your mind, they're anxious thoughts, he's saying, cast them, reject them, refuse to entertain them, throw them onto Jesus, allow your mind to be captive to him. Reject those thoughts and replace those thoughts with the truth. With the truth. You know, when you look at the scriptures, it says this in verses 8 and 9. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think on such things. Listen, we know that the Bible says what a man thinks he becomes. When you think of something, you're eventually going to act on it. You've heard me say this, sow a thought, you reap an action. You sow an action, you reap a character. You sow a character, you reap a destiny. When it all starts, it starts with the mind. The battle, my friend, is for your mind. And the point is this, when those negative thoughts, those anxious thoughts come to you, to reject them, do not entertain them at all, but replace them with the truth, and the truth will set you free. It's so important to be in the Word. And what that means is that we need to evaluate. We need to evaluate what we're watching, what we're listening to, and what we're thinking on. Because it's either lies or truth. You know, it's amazing to me. People talk to me how much they watch the media. No wonder so many people are filled with anxiety. No, if you're having a steady diet of the media, shut it off and get into the Word of God. I am telling you, get into the Word of God. The world is lost, everybody. They're totally in darkness. They have no idea. Now, there's some people out there that speak truth because God's truth, all truth is God's truth. But they're, people are crazy. We're not, listen, get into the Word. The Word of God is the truth. And it will set you free. Listen to this. If you think godly thoughts, if you think godly thoughts, you're going to live a godly life. 
And if you live a godly life, you're going to experience the peace of God. So evaluate and then punctuate. What do I mean by that? Start your day in the Word and end your day in the Word. Punctuate it. Evaluate, punctuate, be in the Word. And you'll be amazed how peace will flow through you and in you because you'll be thinking rightly about what's really happening. Fourth thing Paul says to us is not only rejoice, not only pray, not only petition, but be thankful, to thank God. That word thankfulness there literally, literally means an attitude of gratitude. We remember the, the, the story of the 10 lepers. Jesus heals them all, but only one comes back to thank him. Really? Jesus Christ healed you of an incurable disease. You were going to die, and Jesus Christ heals you, and you can't come back and say thank you? How about this? Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sin, walks out of the grave, and those of us who called upon his name, he has forgiven us of our sin, and now we have a relationship with God. Heaven is going to be our home. But he removed our sin, the sin that was going to take us right straight to hell. We're going to be separated from God for all eternity. And God delivered us. And when we find ourselves in a tough situation, we throw quickly God under the bus and we can't thank him? We somehow doubt and question his faithfulness to us? Really? No. Paul's saying, be thankful. Thank him for who he is and what he's done for you. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever seen somebody who's thankful? Do you see those people? Do you see, you know, do you know one who's thankful? Do you ever see them as unhappy? I never saw, I've never seen anybody who's miserable, but yet thankful. Listen, when, thing, when stuff is happening to you, Paul is saying, thank God. Change your attitude. Remember who he is and what he's done for you. Last, he says this, make your requests known to God. Requests, not demands. We can ask God, we can request God because we're confident that God is going to answer our prayers. Why? Because he promised. He promises that he will answer our prayers. Do you know the promises of God? Our contracts with believers? It's a contract. God's got a contract. Every one of his promises are a contract with you. And he keeps his end of that contract because he signed that contract with his son's blood. It's a guarantee. He cannot lie. It's the truth. He says it. He's going to do it. So if we pray, he's going to answer. And he answers in four different ways. He will answer either by saying yes, and we love that answer, or he'll say no, and sometimes we don't like that, but it's an answer. He'll also pray later. But remember, if you're waiting on an answer, God's delays do not mean God's denials. Keep praying. And last, he'll answer better. Yes, no, later, or better, but he will answer. So Paul is saying to us, listen, if you want to go from anxiety to peace, put these five things into practice. Rejoice, pray, Petition, thankfulness, and request. And he's saying this, this will happen. 
This will be the result. Verse 7. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I want to just say that word guard right there, that word guard is a military term. It literally means that God will put a fortress of protection all around you from your enemies. But this kind of peace is not experienced by the world. They cannot experience it. It's not found or experienced in anyone or anything else other than the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the one who possesses the peace of God because he is the prince of peace. And the only way that you can experience this peace is if you have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. But there's a difference between peace with God and the peace of God. Say this with me. The peace with God and the peace of God. The peace with God is this. You and I, were all, we were all enemies of God. We were rebelling against him. But Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sin, raised again for the dead. He lives. Anybody who calls upon his name, we go from being an enemy to what? Being a child of the living God. He brings us back into a relationship with God. He brings peace with God for us. We're talking about salvation there. And God provides that through his son, Jesus Christ. And every believer has experienced, if they're a believer, peace with God. But the peace of God can only be experienced by believers. But not all believers experience the peace of God. Why? Because the only way you can experience the peace of God is if you continue to walk with God. Look right here. The only way that you can experience what I'm talking about today is if you're walking with God. If you're trying to live in the world and trying to live with Christ you're never going to experience the peace of God. It can't be done. If you're having conflict with somebody and you're unwilling to forgive them, you will not experience the peace of God. If you're out partying, sleeping around with everybody, shacking up with people, on pornography, getting drunk, going out and getting high, listen, you might have peace with God, but you're never going to have peace of God in your life. The only way that happens is when you and I surrender ourselves, not just to a Savior, but to a Lord, the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And you walk with God. As you walk with God, hear me, as you walk with God and you walk in his spirit, the fruit of the spirit is what? Love, joy, and say it loud, peace. He gives that to you. And if you keep short accounts, because we all fail, he forgives you and restores you moment by moment, day after day. We don't put any confidence in the flesh. We're putting our confidence in Jesus Christ, and we're walking in the Spirit. And as you walk in the Spirit, he says, trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Christ Jesus, the hymn says. And that's true. So in order to experience what we're talking about today, you've got to put into practice all the things I said but you got to walk with God. Let me end with this. It's a time I've shared this with you before. I got very, very ill. And I was out of the ministry for nine months. And the doctors had no idea what was wrong with me. But I had like a knife stuck in my belly and somebody was turning it every minute of the day. 
I was in excruciating pain. I lost 50 pounds. And I was in and out of the doctor's office. They didn't know what was going on. Finally, they started saying to me, it must be in your head because we can't figure it out. Thank God for my wife, Tammy. She looked at those doctors and she said this. She goes, wait, wait, wait. he's not in his head. He's not dreaming this up. Every time we come in here, he has a 99.9 temperature. Every time, consistently. He doesn't, it's not in his head. It's physically something wrong with him. Figure it out. Find it. Thank God for Tammy. Well, they eventually did. I had abscessed teeth. And apparently poison was going through my body. I was swallowing it every day. And it was taking my, it was killing me. Till finally they pulled those out, gave me some antibiotics, and I started getting better. But there was a time before all that when I had no idea. And I remember Tammy and I were laying in bed one night, and I looked at my wife and I said, honey, I don't know if I'm going to make it. And we have to really get things in order. And we cried and we wept with each other. And we cried some more and we hugged one another. And then I grabbed the Bible. And I opened it up to the devotion that was for that night. And it's found in Psalm 41, verses 1 through 3. And this was the words that were found there in Psalm 41. Verse 1 says, Blessed are those who have regard for the weak. A better translation is this. Blessed are those who help the poor. Now, all of you know the ministry that we have. We impact the most vulnerable. So that really got our attention. Then we kept reading. The Lord delivers them in times of trouble. That really got our attention. The Lord protects and preserves them. Now we're kind of sitting up. They, they, they're counted among the blessed in the land. He does not give them over to the desires of their foes. But then this verse, the Lord sustains them on their sickbed and restores them from their bed of illness. And when Tammy and I read that, we were sitting right up in the bed. The Lord sustains them on their sickbed and restores them from their bed of illness. Right then, it was like the peace of God just flowed through us and to us like a river. And it was like unbelievable, like a, a dam broke. And we began to really trust the Lord. We, he finally gave us something that we could stand on. And we stood on that. And we counted it. And we put confidence in it. And next thing you know, my friend, we really experienced what it says in verse seven. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And it was right after that to begin to find the problem and antibiotics and prayer. And then I got better. And I'm standing here today, 20 years later, preaching the word of God because God is who he said he is. He is who he said he is. But listen, People will ask, how'd you get through that for nine months? I got through that by doing exactly what we were just taught today from the scriptures. By doing exactly what it says. I began to rejoice. I began to dig deep into my mind and into my will. And I recalled who God is and what, he'd done, what he's done for me. And then I began to pray. And sometimes I would pray minute by minute. Then I gave petitions, I cried out to God, and I casted. I casted every negative thought, every anxious thought out of my mind, and I replaced it with the truth. I was in the word, I prayed the word, I allowed my mind to be renewed. 
And I also thanked God. I thanked him that he was with me and that he was the faithful promiser and that I always was petitioning. I was saying, God, please heal me, deliver me. But I asked that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. Listen, you can experience the peace of God. He's right here, right here, right now. And my prayer for you is that whatever's going on in your life, you would experience the peace of God. But there might be one of you in this room that you're saying, Pastor Ed, I don't know if I have peace with God. I don't know if I'm really a child of the living God. I've been living my life totally different than I should be. But I want to do that today. I want to settle this with day. I want to pull up my white flag and say, God, I surrender. If you want to do that today, I want to give you that opportunity. Would you please all bow your heads with me? If you're here this morning and you're not certain, you're not sure, I want you to see Jesus walking right up to you right now. He's right there with you. And just turn to him and say, Jesus, forgive me of my sin. I turned from the way I'm living and I turned to you. I surrender myself to you. I ask you to be my Savior and my Lord. Fill me with your spirit that I will walk with you from this day on and help me to continue to come to church where I can grow in my faith. For Lord, I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. If you prayed that prayer with me, would you please come and talk to me at the end of the service or one of the pastors and let them know that you came to Christ? But folks, look at me right here. I really sense the love of God. And he wants to help you. Let him help you. We take communion. Talk to him. Let him help you.